This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 79 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by my lockdown friend, Paul Kanawa. How are you, pal? I'm level four good, Dan. I'm level four good. Still in lockdown. How long is it going to go on for? How are you going? Not too bad. So this is uh, week two of a level four lockdown here in New Zealand. So level four for us means pretty much stay, stay at home. Uh, no going to work, no takeaways, no no sort of, uh, you know, non-essential goods being sort of shopped for. So it's, it's a different time, but it's a, you know, I've got nothing to complain about in the scheme of things. No, nor me. I mean, I'm excited about the opportunity to go to level three because as we experienced last time, it basically means we can get our takeaways again, which is, let's be honest, one of the things we're missing the most in this first world problem world, right? Indeed, indeed. There is there is that time, isn't there, it just hits you where oh, I just go some takeaways right now. And when you can't have it, it just makes it even worse. And I wonder, you're right, it's because I know I can't have it. Is that why I'm thinking about it as much? I don't know. But we'll find out when we go to level three, how big those queues are. I remember last time the queues around the block from McDonald's, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, anyway, during lockdown and working, what have you been watching? Dan, I am up to 2015's Terminator Genesis uh, on my my Terminator rewatch uh, binge. Uh, so this this movie is the return of Arnold Schwarzenegger because, of course, he was governator for, for quite a while. Um, I'm going to go on the line straight away here Dan and I know I texted you this immediately after I watched it on Saturday I feel like with the exception of the first two movies which I think the entire world will agree uh, are the best two movies I'm going on the line saying that this is officially the best Terminator movie out of those next sequels this is number three on the list for me Terminator Genesis so this is the one where John Connor leader of the resistance send Kyle Reese back to 1984 to protect Sarah Connor Sounds familiar, sounds like the first movie, right? But an unexpected turn of events creates a fractured timeline. And I feel that my view on this is informed by recency, having, you know, someone who's watched them every one one at a time in order every Saturday night for like the last month. And I I challenge that anyone to, to take me on this view. What are you thinking, Dan? I am questioning your sanity a little bit. <laughs> Only because I feel like, and it, you're making me question my own sanity actually, because it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. Um, it's got a pretty star-studded cast when you look at it: Emily Clark, um, Matt Smith, J.K. Simmons. Like these are all great actors, but I don't have great memories of it being a good Terminator film, and I don't know whether, like, when it came out. Were we still kind of just wanting more of that sort of T two type vibe? Um, so I'm 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 keen to hear more of your thinking around why this is so good. I had a similar memory, and so I came into this excited because I knew that they tried something different in this movie. But I also had a feeling that I wasn't overly impressed. So 
I wasn't sure what to, to make of it, but what I, all I can say is I strongly recommend revisiting this, but even more so with a rewatch of Terminator 1 first. So if you go 1 and then you go 5, this together is great. So when you think about the start of Terminator, the first movie with him walking through Arnold that is, you know, completely naked up to the the the, the guys with the, the um, what do you call it? The mohawk, the... Uh, the, oh, yeah, the, the punk, yep, there you go, yep, the punks, yep. and, the, and they're like, nice night for a walk, eh? And he's like, nice night for a walk. And then it plays out exactly like the first movie. And then all of a sudden, when he says, your clothes, give them to me, you hear a second Arnold Schwarzenegger behind him saying, you won't need any clothes. And it's it just unravels from there. It's so clever what they do. I, f- I followed the story the whole way through, and I think that they were really brave with the way they went about this story. I th- felt like it played out really well. I had a memory from the first time around that there was something about the ending that I I didn't like, but I, I didn't have that. I didn't have none of those problems here. Um, it it didn't even annoy me. It didn't even annoy me, sorry, that they, they tried to turn John Connor into a Terminator because I think the first time around, I wasn't quite sure what they were doing there. And I always thought, well, that's going to mess up any sequel. But of course, there is no sequel to this movie. This movie is the end. This is the movie where they finally put Skynet to bed. Um, it ends with Kyle and Sarah going off into the future that they, they haven't got John. There's no need for them to have John. He has no significant part to play because there is no future to save. He doesn't even need to be born. If they do have a child, it may as well end up being a baby girl. It's just, it's, they just put everything to one side and move forward. And re- the, the special effects with Arnold as 1984 Arnold is just really clever and yeah I I honestly feel like if you watch these in order as I have there'll be a different appreciation for this movie when you text me the other day and you said this is the greatest movie ever I'm like this guy's taking the mick like there's no way he's going to come on the podcast and tell me how great this movie is he's just winding me up he's trying to get me all like all like G'd up for a good old conversation, but it, honestly, Paul, you, you've completely challenged what I what I thought of this movie. So maybe you're right. Maybe, but wait, there's another movie after this, though, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so to be clear, and I'll I'll talk about that next week when we get to it. That sixth movie shouldn't even really be called a sixth movie because that's James Cameron coming back and saying, "Hey, I'm making another movie, and we're going to pick up right after Terminator 2. So that movie forms its own unique trilogy with the return of Linda Hamilton, this movie plays off, off, the, off of the back of one, two, three salvation. And then this one. So that's its own standalone universe. This is like when Han came back in Fast and the Furious. It's so complicated. <laughs> oh, don't you dare try and compare that to that. This is, um, the, the cast, you mentioned the cast. There was some really good casting. Uh, I actually thought Jai Courtney, uh, was superb. He was the standout for me as Kyle Reese in this movie he has a really significant part. Um, Lee Byung-hun, he plays uh, a T-1000 superbly well. He really brings that Robert Patrick energy. And you mentioned J.K. Simmons. He he got an honourable mention from me a couple of weeks ago for a peak performance for this role. And it was great seeing him in this again with the rewatch because it plays back to that character from Terminator 1. And he, he just, he really adds a different dynamic to this movie. I didn't know that all the casting decisions were good. I wasn't convinced by Jason Clark as John Connor. I just, again, we talked about this with Edward Furlong and Christian Bale being strong John Connors, but Nick Stahl and Jason Clark, not quite, not quite up to the, to the standard for me, but a, a really, really clever attempt to play this story a different way. And 
I'm going to say it one last time for the, because if you watch one and then five back to back, you'll appreciate. Even when Kyle Reese goes into the shop and puts on a pair of uh, Nike shoes, just the way in which they do it, exactly the same as in the first movie. And then all of a sudden things for Kyle start to change when there's suddenly a T-1000 in the shop, whereas in the first movie there was actually a cop. It's... I I really think it's worth it. I'm I'm putting it out there. I, I think this this is good. Where can I watch this? Well, what streaming platform? Uh, this is unavailable on any streaming platform that I'm aware of. I I uh, very much like the first two movies, uh, and in fact, the third movie, one, two, three, and this, I had to resort to the Blu-rays that I I have. You know, remember those? A vague a vague memory. Look, you've sold it to me, especially after our. Our watch of Salvation last week. You've kind of, and you're constant sort of talking about Terminator over the last few weeks. It's, it's been fun to kind of go on this journey, and I think this is what's sometimes quite special about movies like this is when you kind of come at them, and you know, the last time you saw the first Terminator film was 15 years ago or something, 10 years ago. You don't get all those sort of nuanced experiences, but when when they're fresh, it's a whole new world. And that's the people that create these movies have done exactly that, right? Like they've watched it, they've studied it, they're 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 trying to pick up on the plot line. But for the average Joe watcher, you miss all of that. Yeah. No. Thank God for the Half Measures podcast. Thank. Oh. Um, I know everyone should be grateful for, for us putting this movie back on their radar. Dan, the second thing I've watched this week, I'll give you the synopsis. Decades after their 1984 All-Valley Karate tournament bout, a middle-aged Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence find themselves martial arts rivals again. It's Cobra Kai, Dan. Season one of Cobra Kai. This is the greatest day of my life, my favorite episode of the podcast. Let's talk about Cobra Kai. Tell me you loved it. What did you think? Dan, you have been a walking advertisement for this series for over a year now, and I guess subliminally that advertising has finally paid off. And it turns out you were right all along. I I came in to this not knowing quite what to expect, but I... I had heard all the hype and it really does deliver. This is this is the perfect TV series for me in terms of it is the perfect way to do a sequel to a classic 80s movie. And it got me thinking about um, if they'd done a movie. I don't think a movie would have, would have worked. It would have come off as, oh, they should have left it as it was. This wasn't needed. It wasn't as good. But a TV show is perfect because what they do is we get the time to explore these characters, especially, you know, Daniel and Johnny at, at a TV pace. We can bring in these new young characters, all of whom I think are, are well played by this new young cast and they can fold that story in amongst the, uh, the, the lore. And I think it's just, yeah, it's and and the way, the way that they've um, they've put these characters together. You know, I I came into this assuming I was going to be team team Larusso. I thought I was going to be you know team Danielson, uh, and he is great in this. But Johnny Lawrence, he is the star of this show. He has so many great lines. He has so many great lines that I can't believe they're going to allow in this day and age. <laughs> the way they put the characters together, though, you really are rooting for Johnny. Because of his, what do you call it? Not uh, when it's their prodigy, their their student. You know, you, you're constantly not sure who you want to win any fight or even an argument. It's uh, it's fantastic. 
I think you're right. Like this show doesn't like on paper doesn't deserve to be as good as it is. And it's just like, it's, it's kind of like, um, cheesy drama, like solving problems with karate. I think, as you say, like exploring those characters from different angles, the way they infuse some of the, the old unused footage from Karate Kid, um, original movies. It, it's just so well put together. And I think you're right. Like throughout the, you know, as you sort of get into the, the later seasons, what the show does really well is it constantly kind of challenges you of who am I rooting for here? And just when you think, oh, I'm team Johnny, he'll do something so terrible. You're like, oh, oh. I'm out. I'm team Daniel. And then you'll be back to team Johnny. And it's good because because you've got the next generation, you're kind of seeing the, the impacts of some of their decisions. You're seeing these uh, new young people kind of embrace karate, but at the same time, like they're all probably 22, 23 year olds playing 16 year olds and they're just running wild at school. And it's just so much fun. It's so colorful. It's what the world needs. It's great. It's, and it's not something I ever expected to like from the point of view of the genre you know i talk about breaking bad and like a, a school teacher that goes and makes math um karate is not not something i'm particularly interested in i was never i watched the movie i was never the biggest fan of this back in the day i you know i didn't dislike it but it's not something massive for me but it still works for me and and i feel like even if you haven't seen the movies it could still work for you because the way they into uh, what's the word in integrate those uh those flashbacks they they bring all the scenes through that you get enough of an understanding that i think i, I don't know i'd be interested to hear anyone who's never seen the movies and has only seen this but i think it would work in that respect too and um yeah like i said those new characters there was like i think there was one cliche moment where the young i can't think of his name now the young the young kid uh sees uh Oh, what's his name? The boyfriend looks through the window and he sees uh, Daniel's daughter at the dinner table with another guy and he assumes it's an, another boyfriend and it's not. And it's kind of a bit cliche with the exception of that scene and that one episode. I felt like the writing for this was just so good. In particular, Johnny and Johnny's dad, Sid. <laughs> Johnny's dad, Sid, is me in 20 years, I swear. I just thought the writing was was so good and I'm now so excited for two and then three and of course danny season four season four christmas time we'll be reviewing that bad boy and we'll be able to do it together it's going to be great and i think you know you've got to remember too this is the show that started its life on youtube as a youtube original series then got picked up by netflix so mm. it very is like you could see like it's probably done amazing numbers now that it's over on Netflix because it was probably a bit lost in YouTube and you know you had to have a a red subscription to even watch it so it's so great that they've been able to sort of give it a, another lease of life yeah and I've been watching this with with Diana and and our 11 year old son they're both loving it and even she said oh I kind of expected, you know, Daniel and Johnny to to turn up, but I didn't think that they would be the main stars. And of course, it's it's just it's just wonderful to see them have such a great role. I read some trivia earlier this week when I was doing a little bit of research, where apparently uh, at some point uh, Ralph Ralph Macchio had the opportunity to be in the remake or the new, and he he turned it down, saying, "Oh, I don't want to be the Sylvester Stallone 
of Karate Kid or whatever. And yeah, obviously he's come full circle and um, I'm sure he doesn't regret that decision at all. I, I love the scenes where, of course, Johnny and Daniel are together and I don't know if it's going to happen, but I feel like I'll be disappointed if at some point we don't see those two going at it once again, uh, karate styles, because um, they've been building up to it and they resisted the temptation to do it in the first season. And I respect that because that's the big draw card that everyone wants. And then at the end, what's his name coming in? The old boss, Crease. Uh, brilliant. So good, eh? And what's um, what's so funny about this is just like the idea of being like the All-Valley champ in the 80s or 90s and that that still carries so much weight in the community. And when people see Daniel, they're like, oh, here he is, the All-Valley champ, like as if anyone would remember anything that you've done in your school years and they would still kind of like hold you in high esteem for it. It's, it's great. It's, it's such a, a feel-good fun time show and there's there's some really fun characters joining in season two so i look forward to our next combo on that great stuff that is me uh for this week dan other than the things we've watched together so what have you been up to what have i been watching okay so i've watched a couple of things so i watched a, a new movie that's just been released on netflix over the weekend called sweet girl and so this is a movie that stars jason momoa um who i you know absolutely loved in game of thrones and the apple tv show c uh c uh he's aquaman and so basically the, the premise of the show is a devastated husband vows to bring justice to the people responsible for his wife's death while protecting the only family he has left, his daughter. So this was one of those real like roll of the dice um, watches for me. And, you know, Netflix doesn't often sort of give you a, a lot about what this is going to be about. But I thought, you know, how bad can this be? Jason Momoa, you know, he's a great action star. You know, the, the story probably just needs to be okay. Paul? This movie is trash. Like, I I really struggled to even get through this movie. And, you know, it's a shame because, you know, Jason Momoa is, like, he's great, like, and he does great action scenes, but the story is drawn out, it's boring, it takes ages to go anywhere, it's a bit cliche. It's, for 2021, we can do better than this. This is a definitely hard pass for me. Um, if you're looking for something to watch, Sweet Girl is not the one for you. That is such a shame to hear because this was on my radar and I had considered, oh, I wonder if this is one that you know could be worth a look. Um, we've got the writer from Event Horizon behind the scenes. I, I've always been a massive fan of that. Um, the producer from V, uh, and, you know, some of the cast are pretty decent. You've got the up-and-coming actress from the the Dora the Explorer movie um, and Transformers. I thought she was good in Transformers. Um, so it had all the ingredients. And the plot, you know, feels, okay, we've seen it before, but we're going to get a good action movie, a good popcorn movie. And it doesn't sound like we're even getting that. Yeah, no, it's a shame. It kind of feels like one of those classic 80s movies where, you know, the main uh, – main character's wife dies he goes on a revenge journey and that's that's basically the the plot throughout this whole thing it's just not fun like and it's it's really just like the action isn't enough to save the storytelling and the storytelling isn't enough to kind of hook you in and, and keep it going mm. so i i hate to kind of slam it so hard but i just had a i had a terrible time watching this i i was glad when the credits finally rolled 
you're not alone by the looks of it. The critics have given it a pretty rough ride, and I see 5.5 out of 10 IMDb, so maybe not one to put back on the radar for me. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I've been watching is we, you know, this comes from a, a recommendation from yourself as well, but it's it's quite an old recommendation. But it checks uh, out. Is we, checks out. Uh, we've started watching Snowpiercer. Uh, we've just finished season one. Um, we're a couple of episodes under season two. So uh, the reason for my delay in watching Snowpiercer is when this first came out, I had only just watched the movie mm. and I kind of felt like at the time – it's too soon for me to kind of go back into that universe. Like I didn't want to sully the movie experience, which I quite enjoyed. Um, and I wasn't sort of sure whether it was going to be sort of a repeat of the story or how it was going to play out. But I, I've been having a, a pretty good time. It took a while for the show to grow on me. Um, I like the premise of Snowpiercer. I, I think it's fascinating that there's all these class systems on the train. Mm. I love that they've kind of taken a bit of a, a different take. Like it's almost kind of a – a murder mystery on the train uh, this whole season and that they've been trying to sort of, you know, the tailies are trying to take, like, you know, get out of the tail. The um, <clears throat> They're trying to solve a murder case. You sort of introduce all these different characters. But it's got – I think the reason why it sort of took a while to sort of grow on me, it was kind of the main character, to be honest. I, I wasn't sure whether I enjoyed him, but he's really – I think as it's gone on, He's he's come to grow on me more, and I've I've been thoroughly enjoying sort of the the final couple of episodes, but I do have one gripe, and it's one that I've griped about before. Is and this is a spoiler if you are going to watch uh, Snowpiercer, but Netflix will ruin it for you anyway, so don't worry. <laughs> is they show on the the title card, um, they show Sean Bean, um, which you know instantly makes you you know as soon as you hear his voice as Mister Wilford you know that that's Sean Bean. And yet he's not really revealed until season two. And they, they, they ruin like a, a sort of a, a key surprise for for streamers straight away. Yeah, I don't know how many more times Netflix HQ need to hear that feedback from mainstream podcasts like ourselves and many other critics online across Reddit and all the rest of it. Everyone's complaining about it. Um, and it is a shame because that voice is, you know, unmistakable as Sean Bean. And it is, uh, you're now actually going to be ahead of me because I, I had, this is terrible, classic half measure, completely forgotten about this and not gone back to it after the first season. So, um, yeah, it's uh, I need to bring this back onto my radar because it is well done. I, I know what you mean about the lead, um, uh, is it David Dix? Yeah, um, not quite sure to start with. It is a bit of a murder. It's like the murder on the Orient Express, um, but with a different class system. I, I love the way you're using the lingo with the tailies. It is a fascinating story. Uh, just uh, And great to see it's already been picked up for two more seasons by the looks of it. Yeah, that's really great. And I think... No, like I, I think what I've really sort of like, I've, I love sort of the the opening credits on every episode where they kind of do the blueprint of the train, and uh, you kind of get to see that the scale of it, and they're always talking about how many carriages they've got. I also have got a, a real big love for uh, Alison Wright, who plays. Uh, Ruth Wardell, and she's uh, in charge of hospitality, and her desire. Uh, to be just involved in every bit of politics and that hospitality is the number one. Like, yeah. hospitality, need to be informed of these events. Hosp like, you know, and they're always, she's always sort of like got a, 
I'm sure you remember the show Paul Heidi High. Do you remember that, yes. that show? Yep. She's got a real kind of like importance to her that she's kind of like running the campground and she's got like a key messages to sort of share and it's it's a lot of fun and it's it's quite an interesting universe. Um also again an, a really great cast. Uh like it's really great to see, you know, characters like Jennifer Connolly who uh, you know, for me, my first experience with her was in the labyrinth, you know, a, a oh, real yeah. sort of favourite movie as a as a as a young one. And you know, she's been a lot since but it's a it's a good story. It's it's really different from the movie, and you know it's been a really fun lockdown watch. I've never been so insulted as I put that all together as you've just made this wild assumption that I would remember a TV show like Heidi High. I mean, that is just there's, Heidi there's, so, there's so many layers to that, um, but it takes one to know one. So you know, consider yourself part of that. My biggest complaint of this series, and it's the same with the uh, the movie, is the. You know, there's obviously a lot of things going on the train, which people might say are unbelievable, but this train stays on the track at all times. And we had a, a pretty bad downpour the other day and some wild weather. And the train that I travel on to, to Wellington, not my actual train, but the same train line, that came off the tracks with the slightest little bit of rubble on the train line. But this train can withstand anything. And I'm just like, really? I need. Uh, I think. I think that's what I'd almost like to see them explore a little bit more. So this train is constantly travelling around the world, and when they talk about like you know, let's just you know, unhitch the tailies and leave them behind. Like you're going to hit the tailies. Like at some point, your train's going to come around, unless you can kind of divert them onto another track. You you have to keep going, and when you see the train kind of ploughing through snow, and knowing as you say, trains are pretty fragile when it comes to some of these uh, environmental factors. There is lots of questions, but this is the type of sci-fi show where you've kind of got to look past it a little bit yeah. and just kind of em- embrace the whole nature of it. And I think you know it's kind of got some interesting messages about climate change and, you know, we, we paid attention too late, we should have done something. And they're, they're not too heavy-handed on those messages, but it's it's interesting to kind of think about in that context. Also good to see that the ratings seem to be going up uh, throughout the seasons as well, which is always uh, a good sign. So that's awesome that you've picked up that, that watch. I love that. Yeah, so no doubt by next week I'll be done with season two as well. Um, what else have I been We have watched one episode of a, an old TV show, actually. We, um, I've been trying to get Samara pretty much for the last 10 years into watching The Sopranos, and she said, finally, she sort of buckled, and she was like, all right, I'll give you one episode. And so we watched the first episode of The Sopranos from 1999. I instantly fell in love all over again, Paul. Love The Sopranos. It's like a Breaking Bad rewatch for me. Like right. all the characters, the lingo, the story, it's so good. And it, it just starts so strong. She's kind of like interested to try a, another episode or two, but she's not overly committed yet. So that may or may not be a, a feature in future podcasts. But just even going back to that first episode, it's amazing how much – it's sort of dated a little bit as well. Like you can tell the sort of film quality isn't mm. quite as good. You can tell with some of the, you know, there's a, a fight that breaks out in the first episode and it's got this, the the real old school like punch sound effect, like whoosh, 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 as, someone, <laughs> as someone's getting hurt. And it's it, it really dates it in that way. Um, but it's still, as long as you look past those things, this is still a, a top tier TV show. 
I really hope you do go ahead and do a full rewatch of this because I want to know more than anything else. Does it hold up to the test of time? Because it's not that long ago, but it is now over 20 years ago. And I was just watching as you were talking the the trailer play and I picked up on the quality of the film straight away as well. And yeah, I just think it would be interesting uh, to, to look at it with, with fresh eyes because this was a great watch, one of the greatest watches in terms of TV shows, in terms of great writing, great shock factor, um, some just superb cast. I mean, as you, you know, as a lover of gangster movies, this this brought it to the TV like no other series has ever done. And I, I can't think of anything that's come out since that has been quite at this level. I used to love the character relationships between Tony and Junior. Um, there's... Oh, all of the family scenes, just him coming down the driveway in his dressing gown each day just to check the mail, just gangster life. And there's a lot that happens in that first episode. So the first episode opens up in uh, Dr. Melfi's office. Um, so he's already getting counselling. He's already got um, the uh, tenuous relationship with his mother. He's already issues with Uncle Junior, um, his kids, um, Meadow and Anthony Jr. are kind of being rat bags. Like, there's a lot of sort of scene setting and drama that happens in that first episode. Um, and it's, I'll tell you, Paul, I was already after the first episode. If we carried on watching this, the next time you see me, I'm going to have like my shirt halfway unbuttoned. <laughs> I'm going to have like a gold necklace. I'm going to have like grey in the side of my hair. It, I'm full soprano. You know, I, I, I want that. I'd love to see that happen. Uh, just hearing you talk about some of the cast, of course, Christopher, another great cast member. And didn't you meet the actress who plays his girlfriend, Adriana Drea Di Matteo? I did. I've, I've actually got a, a photo with her from a that's right um, a, a comic con I went to in Chicago one time. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh, I, I hope you go for it. I really do. I think it might be one of those shows that uh, even if I have to. Uh, cut Samara free and she ends up, um, you know, swimming with the fishes. This may be a show that uh, I I maybe watch, like how you've been watching uh, Breaking Bad or yeah. uh, Better Call Soul. Like maybe it's a bit of a, a train watch where you sort of get an episode in every now and again and you kind of get to to savour it as a as a fun time. So um, maybe it'll sort of be a bit sporadic, but we'll, we'll see how we go. Um, shall we move on over to The Return of the Walking Dead? Indeed. So we are back with season 11, episode one, Archeron part one, The Walking Dead. Returning to Alexandria from a critical food mission, the group realizes it isn't enough. Maggie proposes a new plan, potentially a suicide mission, but what choice do they have? It it feels to me, Dan, like it wasn't that long ago that we we were watching that episode. Uh, here's Negan you know, where we got the Negan backstory and started building a bit of empathy for him. It was all the way back in April. It feels much longer ago than that, but actually it's back quicker than ever before. Um, what are you thinking? Um, so I thought, you know, overall it was a, a, a pretty good episode as far as uh, Walking Dead goes. I think that, um, what do I think? I, you know, I, I feel like I moan about this all the time and you're going to tell me, go to YouTube and watch a uh, previously on Walking Dead. But I really struggled when it started with, oh, wait, where, where are we up to? And I kind of had to do like a, a mental reset of, oh, that's right, we had those 
uh, four or five waste of time episodes before, like in between the the proper story. And one of the things I'm glad they did in this episode is I like that they picked up on the different stories straight away. So we had the the um, Negan Maggie tension, the the immediate hunt for food, and you know, kind of the real threat of now that you know there's a real big community and how do we actually service them? And at the same time, we actually had the the scenes with um, the other guys over with the the stormtroopers. Mm. And I liked that that we didn't have to wait another week to kind of like go, you know, storyline by storyline, that they started to bring them together. I thought, I I don't, I don't know about you. Like, I feel like Negan's grown on me and I know that he's, you know, as a, that, that's unfair to say. I've always quite liked Negan. I feel like I've come to like Negan more than I like Maggie as a as a character. Yet I feel for Maggie because obviously she lost, you know, lost her husband. Glenn was a fantastic character, but I I'm not enjoying the tension between Maggie and Negan because you know Negan's kind of redeemed himself, I think, in the eyes of the audience, and I can understand why that tension's there. But it's it's frustrating to kind of have to go backwards to go forwards and I think what's hard now is you know when they go on this mission to find find food there's so many main characters that no one becomes the main character that's right no look I'll address straight away what you just picked up on with Negan and Maggie I feel like the tension was there right from the start we saw it at the end of last season when when Maggie came back they need I think to to somehow resolve that it needs to to come to a head we don't want that tension going on all season um we we're talking an episode if you're listening you must be a fan and therefore i'm not going to worry about spoilers because obviously that ending where it appears negan's leaving maggie for dead i i feel like that's a bit of a a bit of a red herring i feel like he's going to reappear with a rope or something but um now i i overall I th- I thought this was a good episode. I thought it was a, a good start, even if the story was seemed quite drastic, given that all they were really doing was looking for food. But hey, if you're running out of food and you're quite a big group, and um, Gabrielle talked about they they taken on some more communities as well. Um, obviously, it's a big thing. But uh, yeah. And, and I think, you know, they've tried to really come out of the gate swinging, right? Like they had that real kind of intense recovery mission right at the start of the episode where they're trying to stealthily get that um, army rations and food and then it all kind of goes pear-shaped and then, you know, they're off on a mission. Like, like quite a bit happened in this episode. And I I wonder if it actually might have been quite good for Walking Dead to actually drop like a, a three-parter to start us off with so that we actually like get our appetite wet, get us back into it so we kind of are reminded of the story. Um, I, I understand why they probably haven't done that and I, you know, as much as of a hard time I give this show, like they did the best with what they could during um, pandemic times but it's there's a lot going on and – I do generally worry they've just got so many characters, how they're going to sort of stitch this together uh, into something going forward. And actually in the um, in the news this week, um, I'll talk about it now rather than uh, in the news, is Negan was actually really unsure um, about one of the lines that he was going to say uh, in the – where is my, my news information? And, and when, you know, when he's, he's having an argument with Maggie mm. – and he says, 
um, you know, taking down Glenn like a dog. And he didn't want to say that because he kind of felt, and he really fought with the uh, the writers and the producers that that's that, that's a horrible thing to say to someone when he's trying to kind of redeem himself as a character. And he he actually recorded that scene in a few different ways to try and sort of tone it down or not make it quite so antagonistic. And they went with the antagonistic vibe, which I thought was interesting. Mm, very interesting because you're right. Him trying to play, you know, get get us, the audience, to become Team Negan uh, by, by going down that path and showing, you know, I still remember the time I took a bat to your husband's head. I mean, that's, that's, that's bringing it all back fresh. So that's, that's interesting because, yeah, when he mentioned Glenn's name, it was already going to be, you know, a, a red flag to a bull, but to do it in that manner was was interesting. The the mission that you're talking about, this food mission, Dan, you're a Walking Dead expert. Do zombies sleep? Is that what's is that what's going on there? Are they all sleeping, and we have to creep around because heaven forbid we wake up the zombies. All I can presume, Paul, because, you know, we've been on an evolution with these zombies, you know. If you go back to episode one, they're picking up rocks and banging on windows trying to get in into the uh, mall where Rick Grimes is. What I'm imagining here is that the, these zombies aren't necessarily maybe asleep, but maybe they're, they're, they're so hungry and they can't get out of that room. They're like low energy and they're basically like all but kind of Die, and do you know what I mean? Like, mm. you know, obviously, a zombie's kind of like rotting away, but maybe they're, you know, they're, they're so like it, it, it took that bit of blood and a bit of sound and movement to kind of stir them up again. So, I wouldn't have thought sleeping, I would have thought maybe a state of kind of hibernation. Yeah, I, I do like that. So, like, a uh, energy levels are completely depleted, but they never truly die until someone puts something through their through the brain. So, that that kind of works. I wanted to pick up on a point you made because I agree with you. And we saw it work successfully with another show, and that is around releasing not one, but two or three episodes right off the bat to get your audience back into the show properly re-engaged. And that was the latest season of The Handmaid's Tale, and that was such an effective way of of, of bringing a season to the you know back into the the audience's uh, radar. And I felt like I could easily have because this is as I said in the title, part one. So there's obviously at least one more part coming. Yeah, and, and so looking at IMDb, so so this is a two-parter. Right. And that would have been like a perfect two-hour sort of segue to be like, oh, that's right, that's what we're up to. I'm getting a sort of full conclusion of this story. We're setting up for what's next. I think it would have been quite powerful. Um, but obviously that is not the way they've gone. Unfortunately, no consulting with the crew over at Half Measures, but maybe next time. I also feel like this episode should have been titled Everybody Hates Negan. Because, and you know, without any context, if you were to to watch this show, a new viewer would see the the behaviour of the group as being borderline bullying. And there were some great lines that people used uh, in that sort of tip for tap verbal bashing with Negan. But uh, that that will become tiresome pretty soon, I think. And so I think we need to bring Negan into the group, or he needs something big needs to happen straight away. Because I actually found myself. As I said, good episode, but I found myself more invested in the what I guess you'd call the B story with uh, Eugene and the gang uh, over with the Stormtroopers, as we now call them, I guess. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I I think that was sort of far, like far more new and far more exciting. And I think what's so hard with Maggie is Negan's kind of, you know, rightly or wrongly, has been with the show the whole way through, whereas Maggie made the choice to leave. And so it's kind of hard seeing everyone kind of be on board with Negan. And then as soon as Maggie gets back, it's kind of, okay, we'll change our, our sort of allegiance again. Exactly right. Well, I guess we'll... um. We'll see next week because, yeah, uh, this is back into our our lives for at least eight episodes, I think, before we get to uh, a break until next year. So um, Walking Dead, season 11, available here in New Zealand on TVNZ On Demand. Good times. So there's another show that uh, you and I have been watching, Paul, that we thought we might review on this episode of the podcast. One on Amazon Prime called Tell Me Your Secrets. Yeah, so this one, the synopsis here, is about a woman called Emma, uh, who is, she's looked into the eyes of a dangerous killer, John, who was a serial predator who's desperate to find redemption, and... We have Mary, who is trying to find her missing daughter, and as each of them is pushed to the edge, their paths grow murkier, and the three stories combine. Dan, I'll quickly kick us off with this, because when I started watching this, and I had this recommended to me from two separate places, I, I found that this started off with a real good bang. I found the first three episodes, I was really invested and I found myself, oh, I can't wait for the next episode. And then somewhere in the middle, the writers either had too much to drink or they just took a holiday or I don't know what. But those last four episodes, for me, felt like they went on for 12 hours and I just tired. What about you? Yeah, I would agree with that. So I had the show recommended to me as well. Um, the first episode I watched, I was like, oh, we've got a good one here. We've got one on the line. Mm. This has got all the makings of a great. And episode one, for me, knocked it out of the park. Uh, episode two and three, yep, still still good. But I, I, I really found in the middle, a bit like you, way too many storylines kind of dragged quite a bit and then kind of loosely came back together in the final episode but I kind of found myself and this is probably on me not really being able to follow the story that clearly and I, I think you might have said that to me Paul remember when we watched Dark yeah, that's and it. it was kind of like I'm seeing things but I'm not always clear what's happening and I felt like I had that experience during the show and I'm yeah it was I'll tell you the other thing that kind of like left a sour taste in my mouth is I thought this was going to be a limited series yeah. and to see at the very end, they kind of set it up for a season two. I was like, oh, do, do we need a season two? Like, could we have just wrapped this up? Like this probably would have been a better story told in six episodes. It's, it's like you're reading my mind. I wrote down three things because, you know, we come with a bit of prep. I wrote down, felt like 12 hours, dark, and we needed six, not 10. So you've covered off all those things. It Just like Dark, I was confused. I didn't really understand the stories. I couldn't even pretend to be confused by the fact it was in German because obviously it wasn't. <laughs> um, and yeah, they just tried to drag it out too much. There's no way this was 10 episodes. Six is, is more than enough. The writing itself devolved midway through into something akin to um, 
like a days of your days of our lives type thing and uh, i'm incapable of giving away spoilers because i don't think i i didn't understand half of the character motivations who was doing what or why it, but is it just us dan because this show is trending at 7.4 out of 10 it's getting a lot of positive reviews from critics so is it just us Look, I think it might be. Like, Samara thought the show was great. She was explaining bits to me constantly throughout this. I'm like, whoa, 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 what's just happened? And she would sort of break it down for me. And, you know, her overall summary of the show is it's a great, it's a great watch. And I maybe there's something in it that I'm just not seeing, but this is a tough one for me to recommend. Mm-hmm. But what's weird about it is, as I say, You'll watch the first episode and you'll probably be like, ah, those guys at Half Measures don't know what they're talking about. This is bloody great. But it does go on a bit of a around the mulberry brush a few times um, and still doesn't always clearly sort of make a point at the end. To be fair, I'm not sure we do know what we're talking about. But when, when I was giving the synopsis and I talked about those those sort of three characters that those stories combine – each of those characters by themselves with their own backstory and the, whether it's the predator or the murder, you could you could actually do a whole series around just that one character. But to try and bring all three of them together and interweave them was such a great idea. And they, they started it off so well that it had a real clever, um, I can't think of a, a show to liken it to, but like it just was very well articulated. And then, yeah, it just it just didn't quite, it just it just wasn't my cup of tea. I thought some of the acting was a bit too much at times, like when John and Mary were just yelling down their phones at each other. I just felt like they'd they'd sort of run out of steam. The one thing I will shout out, I love seeing Richard Thomas, who played uh, Bodie Lord, the crazy old dad at the end, who was part of the festival. I haven't seen him since Battle Beyond the Stars back in the 80s, so I enjoyed that. I also enjoyed the theme song. I thought that was pretty cool. But... I, when I saw, as you did, that they're clearly setting up a season two, I've got to be honest, I haven't got the energy for it. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is not a good week on the Half Measures podcast. I think this is, a, you know, like, look, it, it might be for you. Maybe we're not the demographic. Maybe we're not the target audience, Paul. Maybe we're just not smart enough. I don't know. But I, I think this is probably a, a pass for me, unfortunately. Indeed. So that is... <laughs> Tell me your secrets on Amazon Prime. Uh, Check it out at your peril. Then should we move over to our movie of the week? Let's do that. So every week, uh, Paul and I take turns choosing our movie of the week, which we both watch. If you would like to watch along with us, then you should come and join us in our Half Measures Discord channel where we announce that movie every week. This week, we've watched another Amazon Prime um, movie. This is a, a documentary called Val. So yeah, so the, this is a a documentary documentary centering on the life of Val Kilmer, um, and it features never before seen footage over the course of forty years. The vast majority of which was filmed by Val Kilmer himself, and this is a very very frank documentary i i sure came out of this with a very different opinion of him as a person uh seeing what he went through the this troubled childhood he had a difficult childhood a rich childhood i guess in terms of some great experiences too but you know the the death of his brother and other things this was very open and the experience of seeing him 
uh, with a video camera, something which we take for granted these days with even the cheapest of smartphones, was massive back in the early 80s. And you know, even some of the film stars he was talking to were surprised. I love the way this was filmed and put together by by Val Kilmer. And this was this was a real nice surprise because I wasn't sure going into it what I was even expecting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So I kind of came into this thinking, you know, is this going to be a fun watch? Is it, what is it going to be like? And I think this is, uh, you know, a pretty like open and quite a, a sad look at Val, Val Kilmer, you know, where he is now and, and sort of the 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 fortunate journey he's been on in his life. But as you say, also the, you know, had some some big tragedies when he was a child. He's been uh, in some amazing movies uh, in his career. Now, obviously, he's he's got throat cancer. He, you know, he can barely talk. No one can understand him. He looks nothing like he, he did in his prime. And I think what's really interesting about this movie is you really get to see a whole different side of Al Kilmer in the sense that I always sort of probably think of him as like, you think of actors as kind of like in an American term, like a jock, like they're kind of cool guys. They're, you know, they're, they're real sporty. They're, they've got it all going on. And I think what this actually highlights of how much of a, of an artist and probably a, a purist that Val Kilmer is and that if every role that he kind of talked us through, and I guess bearing in mind, this is his own perspective on himself he put his all into everything, whether he was um, in Top Gun or whether he was in uh, Tombstone or Heat. He's really trying to understand the character. He He's trying to sort of live and breathe their their worldviews. He's trying to do everything he can so that his, his movements, his body language, his, his voice fits the character. And it was incredible to see just the, the I guess, the extremes that he would go to um, in some of these processes. Yeah, you're right. The, I mean, the most extreme seem to be the the Jim Morrison that I've always thought of actors like Robert De Niro being like a, a method, but this is method level 100 and how his, well, how his family lived through him as a, like, it was like a year, he said, of prep in terms of, and doing like all these audition tapes. I mean, the, the, the Doors one is the, probably the most extreme, but even just other things that he's constantly putting together auditions, uh, tapes. And the the word you use, purist, I think is um, is so right in terms of him not being that typical American superstar. You know, he didn't really want to be in Top Gun. He didn't enjoy being Batman and decided to not go back for the next one. And, and yet, you would think from the outside looking in that you would expect any hollywood actor would be like those these are the biggest roles in my life this is this is what i'm here for but he was more interested in roles like the jim morrison movie he was more you know watching him in heat and and i think the timing of him going to heat after him not enjoying being batman and going to work with al pacino robert de niro and michael mann and, and really exploring the what he described as being like an indie movie um it's a fascinating watch and I think that's the thing, right? So he signed up to Batman Forever without even really seeing the script, right? Because As you, would. you get the offer, you get the offer of Batman, everyone wants to be Batman, you take that and you run with it. And, you know, really interesting just to kind of hear him talk about how, you know, you can't move, the suit's really hot and heavy, you can't hear anybody, nothing you do kind of brings out the the actor in you and how kind of disheartening that would be to be in such a, a huge kind of blockbuster like that 
and not be able to kind of bring your your presence to it must be so challenging as a as an artist i guess yeah no exactly right and the the journey he goes on he talks really really early on about his heroes and what's inspired him as an actor and he talks very early about Marlon brando and then of course after heat he has the opportunity to work with with brando on the island of dr moreau and what a wasted opportunity and how heartbreaking it must have been for him to to, to be there and and brando's not even turning up half the time they've got some other guy dressed up as him on stage they got all the issues with the directors and being able to see all this through his consistent and constant videotaping of everything is is something that i just don't know any of us would ever have thought was coming because it, it gives a whole new view on things and um yeah, there's there's just so much in here that is heartbreaking. Hearing him talk is is gut wrenching. His son's voice, wow, he sounds so like him. It's in, absolutely incredible. But the the Batman things that you talked about are things that I just would never have anticipated because you just think it would be the the role of a lifetime because it is such a pinnacle role. But there's that great line he uses where he says, "Every boy dreams of of, of being Batman, but they don't want to be the actor." who plays him in a movie. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's sort of interesting to see, isn't it, because he's obviously uh, separated from uh, from his wife. He's He's got like a, a ton of archival footage. I imagine even making this documentary, they probably had hundreds of hours of sort of footage to cut through to try and sort of they probably could have gone many different directions with this even you can kind of see he's kind of a little bit alternative in the way that he dresses and he's kind of Mm. creates his own almost kind of his own apparel like with sort of writing messages and poetry and stuff on his clothes and it's interesting to see sort of you know he's down a he's at the point where he's he's going to signings and he's you know going to kind of comic-con type events of various scale around the around the country because that's probably what keeps the the money coming in and i think for an actor like val kilmer who's i feel like always kind of this is probably offensive to val kilmer always on the precipice of of greatness and i feel like there was a period probably Mm. uh in the uh late 80s to uh, early two thousands, where where he was a king, he was a, he was a, a god amongst men in the in the movie industry, and how quickly that all kind of falls away, you know, once you sort of start to move into your your sort of older years, and that the roles don't come quite so quick and fast, and then obviously having a bunch of medical issues, it must make it hard to kind of go from being at your your peak to then having these sorts of challenges. Yeah, he on the subject of him going and doing these sort of photo signings, he puts himself on the line. He's really open and he's not hiding anything because he sort of talks about, you know, how he feels like, oh, you know, I'm selling my past by signing out these old photos. It's the lowest thing you can do. But he's he's learned that actually he appreciates being surrounded by people who love what he's created and that it brings him joy to be around those people. Like when he he went to the the massive outdoor viewing in Texas of, of Tombstone. Um, and yet you also see, yeah, that's only one side of it. You also see how people were just throwing photos at him saying, oh, can you write? I'll be your wingman or can you do this? And, you know, and then he's just there, just relentless. And then he he ends up throwing up in a bin and he feels unwell and he has to get wheeled through a crowd with a blanket over his head. I mean, it's it's that's really hard to, to, to watch. And I think... Um, that's the value in this this whole 
documentary to me. Uh, the funny enough, Dan, I'll just before I forget, I I looked up. It was actually a year ago this week that we in podcast episode twenty six had Val Kilmer as our big performance, and and you had Tombstone, and I had The Saint. And the reason I wanted to mention it was I thought it was really interesting that that was from watching this documentary it was quite clear to me that was two movies that he clearly loved it was uh in terms of role in terms of dialogue in terms of creativity um there were these were movies that were val kilmer movies as opposed to others and so i i just thought it was movies that yeah at the time that i just thought were good but it's actually movies that he really enjoyed and i I found that fascinating Mm, no, definitely. It's, uh, it definitely got me thinking about our our peak performances for Val, and it was, you know, I, this is a really good documentary. It's really uh, like it, like it's it's sad, but it's it's good because it kind of takes you on a bit of a career history, and it's actually amazing to kind of look back at all of the great movies that he has been involved in, and he's done a lot, and uh, like you know, but you don't know at the same time, oh yeah, that's right. Oh God, he was good in that. And this is sort of a good walk down memory lane. It is. And it's an emotional watch. I, I didn't expect to have an emotional reaction to watching it because I'm not going to lie on this podcast and say that I've always been a big Val Kilmer. I, I, I think of The Saint. I think of Top Gun. I think of Heat. I think of The Doors. And now I also think, thank you and thank you, Patty, of Tombstone. Um, but beyond that, uh, I, I wouldn't say that he he's someone that I've, you know, followed as such. But so I went into this more in interest of him as a human being. And so the reaction to seeing him in this and hear him telling his story is a very human experience watching this, that's for sure. I'll tell you one thing, Paul, is and this is why I know that I'll probably never never be truly famous, is that I don't have any video footage of me doing anything and I feel like to truly be famous there has to be video footage of you doing things from being a, a child all the way through your kind of teenage adult years and there's nothing I'm a, I'm a ghost and you know the, how can they make the documentary this well I have seen some some fascinating photographs uh through the years of of a young Daniel Whiting that uh I think would perhaps make up for that as and when the time comes when you've truly made okay. made it okay you've got you've got a good point i think through the wonders of technology there's, there's still a chance um but i think this this for me a little bit of a different movie of the week for us this week but i give it all the guns yeah for a documentary i i do as well i again didn't expect to get as much out of it as i did and so even if you are only a passive Val fan as I thought I was coming to this. I, I think you'll get a, a lot out of it. And that is also available to watch on Amazon Prime alongside Tell Me Your Secrets. I know which one I'd be picking. Indeed. Shall I take us on over to the news desk? Let's hit it. All right. So this week, um, you may want to check out YouTube because the Spider-Man No Way From Home trailer has officially dropped. So if you're a Spider-Man fan, you are going to want to get around that. What's, what's going on with these Spider-Man movies, Dan? Am I just miss? I don't know. I haven't watched it, but like, it's like Far From Home, No Way Home, Show Me The Way Home, Homecoming. Home- Go home, what? stay home. <laughs> what's the that, deal? That, that's the COVID one. Wow. Okay. Um, I, copyright um i think so so this is the the third uh spider-man movie 
uh, in in this sort of series, but this Spider-Man movie is doing something special, and they are bringing back some of the the key characters and potentially some of the the Spider-Man from the the Sam Raimi movies. And so there's there's potentially going to so Doctor Strange is involved in this. You will obviously be aware of Doctor Strange as someone who can manipulate time, and there is going to probably be some interesting multiverse things happening in this movie. I've just watched the trailer. Looks fantastic. Try to sort of keep it at one watch and then uh, save it for the uh, the big show. Oh, look! I, I the story sounds fascinating. I'm just more about the name. It's just they all sound so similar with the word home in it. It's just confusing to someone who's not I, watching it. Maybe I think it's intentional. Yep, intentional. it's done. It's worked. All right. So uh, it looks like the official title of the fourth Matrix has been confirmed. It is going to be called The Matrix Resurrections. Okay. Okay. It's. Uh, okay. It's, 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 it's. I got no allergic reaction to that. Okay. Good. 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 Uh, we have an official new name for um, Boba Fett's uh, spaceship, starship. So previously, uh, Boba Fett's um, starship was officially referred to as Slave One. That has now been renamed to Fire Spray. I discovered that in our Discord news channel, Dan, and uh, there was an interesting conversation that took place in that in that news channel, and I think it's uh, going to be really interesting to see how that plays out on screen and whether that we hear the name said aloud. I'm really fascinated by this. And you know what? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't. Um, it's probably just a name for the sake of Lego sets and toys and things like that. Mm. So not often are ships referred to by their name that's... Probably the Millennium Falcons may be a bit of an exception. Correct. Uh, the producers of 007 um, have said, don't expect a James Bond TV series on Amazon. Now that obviously they, they own uh, the rights to all of those, which which I think is uh, never say never, but interesting. Clever. I see what you did there. You really scared me when you started bringing James Bond to the news desk because I thought, oh no, they haven't delayed it Not again. again. Not again. <laughs> Uh, Anthony Mackie has closed the deal to star in Captain America 4, which is pretty awesome. So we've most recently seen uh, Anthony Mackie in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And in that TV series on Disney+, Plus, he actually picked up the, the helm and the shield, I guess, of Captain America. So pretty awesome to see him moving into uh, the silver screen and taking on Captain America 4. That's pretty awesome news. Awesome. Uh, the Andor Star Wars TV show has reportedly wrapped filming, getting ready for their 2022 release. I love to hear it when they've wrapped. It means things are moving along nicely. That is brilliant because they always bring post-production pretty quickly in Star Wars, so that's good. And final bit of news for me, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to star an adaption of Robert Kirkman's comic Oblivion Song. So this was a a fairly short-run comic series that uh, Robert Kirkman has produced, uh, but interesting to see a big name like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal behind that. So no doubt we'll have more information on that in the coming months. Anything on your news desk, Paul? The only thing I have was uh, provided, provided again in our Discord by Sadal, which was the um, uh, Black Panther 2 had cast uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s successor. So um, I think even as someone who's not a... Uh, a, a big fan in, in terms of the Marvel Universe. It's still quite a significant moment when uh, we have someone new coming in uh, to play 
to play Iron Man. So um quite excited to to see how that goes. Awesome. What's in the mailbag this week? So this week's mailbag in association with our friends at Mission Log Podcast, the weekly Star Trek podcast. It's a quick one this week, Dan. Uh, your review of um, Promising Young Woman uh, from last week's podcast. Uh, we had Jess from Toronto. Uh, she agreed with your review, said an amazing movie. And we also had um, Sador, who I just mentioned in our Discord channel, saying it was also amazing, disturbing, but relevant and should be required viewing before every person goes to college. Uh, and also last week's peak performance, uh, Christian Slater. Um, we had Sarah from Wellington uh, went with Interview with the Vampire. Ryan from California went with Mr. Robot. Just like Snowpiercer, that was another one that I started and never got around to finishing. And I, again, I don't know why. Uh, Norman from Mission Log Podcast, he went with Young Guns 2. And Paddy from Time Traveling Tink Podcast gave us a 3 2 1 of Archer where, of course, he played the character of Slater. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and number one for him as well was Young Guns 2, and that is the mailbag. Great choices. I've got to admit, I saw uh, where somebody posted about Interview with a Vampire. I've completely forgot that Christian Slater was in that movie. Yep. Top shout. Yeah, it's a good call. I, I haven't seen that in many years. I do wonder how that holds up in today's age, but I remember it being a, a classic uh, growing up. Massive cast, you know, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt. Uh, was I can't think who else was in it now, but I just remember at the time there was massive, massive names. I think Antonio Banderas was also in it, and I'm trying to think of the uh, – she was a young girl at the time. Anyway, great, great uh, movie. Oh, the one from Spider-Man. mm Yes, can't think of a name either. True half measure. True half measure. All right, shall I take us on over to our peak performance? Indeed. So each week, like our movie of the week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose an actor, an actress, producer, director, someone whose career we want to look back on and choose what we think is their peak performance. Uh, this week, Dan, it was my turn and I went with Anthony Hopkins. Uh Who's going first? I can go first if you like. So I've got to be honest, when you first said Anthony Hopkins, I'm like, surely we've done Anthony Hopkins. Surely. And I was sort of racking my brains and I think you're right, Paul. We haven't done him. No, I checked as well. We haven't. It's about time. All right. So for my uh, runner-up this week, I'm actually going to go with Anthony Hopkins' role as Dr. Robert Ford in 2016's Westworld. So Westworld, a TV show, um, basically set in the intersection of the near future and reimagined past, exploring a world in which every human appetite can be indulged without consequence. And the basic premise of this, of, of season one in particular, is around a whole um, wild Westworld being set up and you can't quite tell the difference between who's, who's human and who's a... Uh, who's an android in this and the park is is created by uh, Anthony Hopkins character Dr Ford and he just plays such a a great character of of mystery and I think there's something about 
you know, his his portrayal as Dr. Hannibal Lecter, where you always are just a little bit fearful of him. And he seems like the most loveliest guy, but at the same time, someone you wouldn't want to double cross. And I think he just plays such a fantastic role in this in this TV show. My peak performance, though, probably of little surprise, is the 1991 classic, The Silence of the Lambs, where we get to see uh, Anthony Hopkins play the, the famous Dr. Hannibal Lecter and such a, a memorable, terrifying performance of a lifetime for Anthony Hopkins. I, I cannot think of him as anything but Dr. Hannibal Lecter and everything I see him in. It's fantastic. Great choices, Dan. I'm fascinated because uh, Westworld, of course, is like you're getting maximum... Uh, Hopkins because you've got him across like 16, 17 episodes and of course he hasn't really done TV before and so seeing him play a character across that length of time I think that would be really, really absolutely fascinating so um, great shout on that Uh, for me my honourable mention uh, is as Hannibal Lecter in the 2001 movie Hannibal and I've, I've talked about this before, this is a movie I come back to time and time again I actually prefer him as this slightly older, this wily kind of lector. And even though, as you say, Science of the Lambs is the one, you know, he'll always be remembered for. He got the Oscar for it, and and rightly so. And behind bars, he he was scary. But I felt like he had to find lots of different ways to be scarier when he was loose in in the world in Italy and, and, and all over the place. And so... So, yeah, this is a movie for me. I can never explain to anyone quite why I love it so much. That's my my honourable mention, but I'm actually going to go over my peak performance then. And this is despite me not being into motorcycle racing, but I, this is a movie I have felt compelled to watch as a New Zealander. And that is 2005's The World's Fastest Indian. I was just blown away. We talked about Breaking Bad and how I just thought, oh, this wouldn't be for me. I just thought this would not be for me. What a brilliant movie. I thought it was so touching so well done i thought he was so convincing he is personifies that that old man next door neighbor who spends all day in the garage in the shed he was spot on for me and i feel like when i truly thought about peak performance i feel like he played this role better than anything else i've seen him in in terms of convincing me i was so invested in his character um this is definitely due a rewatch and uh yeah that's my peak performance Great choices, Paul. I guess that probably brings us to the end of uh, another episode of the Half Measures Podcast. Indeed. And if you want to get in touch with us, do so at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on our social media at halfmeasurespod. I'd also like to give a special shout out to our Half Measures Patreon producers of the show, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa and Linda Tavner. Thank you for your support, and if you too would like to become a patron, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.